All right, so we're in chapter 7, a little chapter called Working with Others. I'm already sweaty. Anyone else sweaty? That's a fire burning off everything that isn't useful. All right, so practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. Promise there, what works? Intensive work with other alcoholics works when other activities fail. What's the other promise? Other activities will fail. Remember the problem was selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, fear. One of the ways you outgrow selfishness is to act selflessly. If I was redeemed from a condition, the condition of my redemption is that I continue to bear witness. Does that make sense? Okay. So other activities will fail. How many of you have done everything but work with other alcoholics? Well, there's, there you have it. Okay? So then they tell us that little secret. We've got to live with a servant heart. We've got to walk in the way. Patience, kindness, tolerance, love. That's the way in which we walk. Yes? Okay? This is our 12th suggestion, so the 12th suggestion follows. They gave me the selfish reason, the human reason. If I want to save myself and my family from any more despair, I need to work intensively with others. I need to offer myself regardless of whether it's convenient. Okay? But the 12th suggestion says, carry this message to other alcoholics. You can help when no one else can. That's the message I carry to you. You can help when no one else can. You know what it's like to be oppressed by the world. You know what it's like to be enslaved in your mind. You know it better than anyone else can know it because you have been in it so long. But the day of your redemption has come and now it's time to go tell others. Does that make sense? Okay, so it says you can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember they're very ill. Now some promises from the authors. Who, who wrote the book? The first 100. So they're telling us what happened to them. They wrote the book four years after they'd been studying biblical teaching and helping one another get well. It says life will take on new meaning. How many of you need your life to take on new meaning from time to time? Like on the regular, right? Okay. To watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish. To see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends, this is an experience you must not miss. We know you'll not want to miss it. You guys here in New Freedom, how many of you were here two years ago when this shit happened? Have we not seen a fellowship grow up about us? Do we not have a host of friends? Would you have wanted to miss this experience? To see loneliness vanish, how many of us see it every day? Stick with us, guys. We're on the winning team. All right. So frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. Perhaps you're not acquainted with any drinkers who want to recover. Is that true? <laughs> Think about it. How many of you have been a drinker who didn't want to recover? How many of you went to a fellowship where they told you, we don't recover here? The author said they recovered 17 times in the instructions. They only said recovering once. And it was in the chapter to the wives about the still drinking alcoholic. The authors must have been wrong. No, man, back then, alcoholism addiction wasn't a diagnosis. So they weren't talking about a medical delivery. They were talking about a spiritual delivery to be taken from a scrap heap and raised to a level of life better than the best we've ever known, to be redeemed. Who wants to recover now? What's the goal of 12-step recovery? To wake up. What happens after a surgery in the hospital? What room do they take you to? Welcome to the fucking recovery room. We're going to wake you up spiritually. And physically, too, maybe. 
Okay, he says you can easily find some by asking a few doctors, ministers, priests, or hospitals. They'll be only too glad to assist you. Don't start out as an evangelist or a reformer. Why? No, they, they just didn't want, it, it, it can affect people badly. Yeah? Okay. Unfortunately, a lot of prejudice exists. You'll be handicapped if you arouse it. How many of you have found there's different languages? We've got a fellowship language. We have a, if you're in a church family, there's a church family language. And sometimes you're talking about the very same power and you can't communicate. So it's easy to arouse prejudice, isn't it? But is it our job to win arguments or win friends? We're here to win friends, right? Okay. All right. So, so it says ministers and doctors are competent and you can learn much from them if you wish, but it happens that because of your own drinking experience, you can be uniquely useful to alcoholics. So what they're telling you is a biblical truth. The science and the priests can do what they can do within their synthetic powers, but us who have been redeemed have a different experience to share. Does that make sense? Okay. So cooperate, never criticize, to be helpful is our only aim. When you discover a prospect for Alcoholics Anonymous, find out all you can about him. How do you find out all you can about somebody? We ask questions, perhaps. We listen. Maybe ask some more questions. Maybe we just sit quietly with them if they're grieving. Any of you get here tore up? Had a lot of trouble controlling your emotion? Didn't feel like chuckling? If he does not want to stop drinking, don't waste time trying to persuade him. You might spoil a later opportunity. So we're not here to convince anybody that's alcohol's job, methamphetamine's job, cocaine's job, fentanyl's job. Much more persuasive force than us. But when they cry out as God's people, he comes down. And then you show up and you bear witness. And it's a, it's a really simple process at that point. We're not struggling, right? Okay. They should be patient realizing they're dealing with a sick person. I want to jump from there because we usually meet people in fellowships these days and I got a lot of stuff to get through. I'm going to go to the middle of page 91. And it says, see your man alone if possible. How many of you have been blessed with a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps and does endeavor to work with others? A good, a good percentage of you. The rest of you will be raising your hands soon if you want to get well for the very reason I just told you. How many of you have at least considered asking someone to help you? Okay, you're already in step 12, too, because you'll help them more than they help you. See how easy this is? All you got to do is humble yourself enough to ask, first a human, and then the power they help you discover within you, and you're going to get well. Now, whether you stay well is whether or not you tell others. It's just that simple, okay? And, if, and what you tell them. Don't be a deceiver. Don't get up here and tell people what I did today to stay sober. Because if I know what I did today to stay sober, I lied and won. I admitted I was powerless. Which meant I got nothing I can do today to stay sober. What I can do is ask for power to help you. And I've been asking continuously, and guess how many people? We've got a help people factory built here. That's why I know no one can stop us. That's why we have opposition, too. Every time you try and take God's people out of somewhere, someone in power tries to stop it. Guess what? They always lose. So it says, see your man alone if possible at first engage in general conversation. So what's that look like? Get in the car. Sean has advocated kidnapping them for years. In this crowd, that's serious talk. Not a charge they want, man. <laughs> so what's it, what's it look like to have general conversation? How many of you have been to recovery rooms? What's the first thing you hear when they haven't seen you before? Got a sponsor. How much time you got? Here, read this book. General conversation. I haven't seen you here before. You work in the area. How do I know anything about who wandered into a room of Alcoholics Anonymous? Anyway. 
After a while, turn the talk to some phase of drinking. Tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. So they're teaching us how to fish, guys. I just need to talk to you about my drinking habits. I drank too much for too long, lost too many things, too many people. I hurt people I never meant to hurt. I did irreparable damage to institutions and other things, things that I can't even imagine. I just did harm. And then, in spite of that, I'd do it again and again and again. I was not the guy who did the same thing expecting a different result. I did the same thing knowing exactly what the hell was going to happen to me. Did it anyway, because the pain was too great in the moment not to medicate. That's the facts about me. Anyone else relate? So at some point, we have that conversation, and they get to be curious. And they'll then, you look curious, Eric. Tell me what's up with you. You look like you're on a winning streak. <laughs> if he wishes to talk, let him do so. You'll thus get a better idea how you ought to proceed. So I'll know how to proceed based on the cues I get. Right? If he's not communicative, give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time you quit, but say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. Why not? Remember, we have this vital sixth sense. We talked about improving consciousness. It's a vital sixth sense. So I'm not looking at the moment with just my eyes, my ears, my five senses. I'm also in spiritually looking at the moment. And since, have you ever seen someone who covers up their deep sadness with their smile? So if you make jokes at them, you damage them. See how serious it is? Why is that sixth sense vital? Because I need you to stop smiling at me and tell me why you're not crying when I am. Does that make sense? Because I feel your pain. Right now the Spirit has given me your burden and it's heavy. Take out that mask and talk to me because in talking to me, you're talking to him. Starting to make sense? Practice these principles in all our affairs. It's not of a collection of humans. It's a collection of souls. Serious business. Okay, if he's in a serious mood, dwell on the triple tr trouble liquors has caused you, being careful not to moralize or lecture. If his mood is light, tell him humorous stories of your escapades. Get him to tell some of his. How many of you got some humorous stories of your escapade? Even if you wouldn't describe them as escapades. Right, that's a weird word, isn't it? Sounds a little, yeah. All right, so when he sees you know all about the drinking game, commence to describe yourself as an alcoholic. Tell him how baffled you were and how you finally learned that you were sick. They told us in an earlier chapter of when we become alcoholic, remember when they said that? When we became alcoholic, crushed by a self-imposed crisis we could not postpone or evade, we had to fearlessly face the proposition that God's everything or he's nothing. So I'm not an alcoholic in any meaningful way until I know myself redeemed and I'm giving God the credit. Does that make sense? So when I describe myself as an alcoholic, I'm not describing you a current condition. I'm not describing you that I'm defined by my problem. I'm telling you that guys like me are dead and yet I was sent here because I was given new life in him, and he has sent me to you to offer that to you. Does it all start to make sense? Yeah. It should make sense, and even if some of you have religious sensibilities that this is troubling you, this is the best way. Never cut someone else's dope. That's shitty. <laughs> you dish it straight, and then they do what they do. It is shitty anyway. Wayne used to cut his own dope to make it last longer. <laughs> then he was mad at him. Okay, so how baffled were you while you were in your active addiction? Pretty freaking baffled, right? And we were baffling to others, and people would demand an explanation, and we had no explanation, yes? That's what we tell them. There's no explanation. I don't have one. 
I don't know why I do it. I don't know how to not do it. You know why? Because to not do takes no power. I had to get dead so I could seek life. Anyway. All right. So, show him the mental twist which leads to the first drink of a spree. What's that for you? How many of you had some clean time? How many of you saw a bunch of people going out doing stuff look like fun? How many of you had a vague sense that that probably wouldn't be as fun for you? How many of you wanted to do it anyway? How many of you learned like me the reason they can do it and I can't is they went home and I went and lived under a bush? Or somewhere else? Brian and I are bush guys. Some of you... Some of you guys like more fortified institutions. So it says, we suggest you do this as we've done it on the chapter on alcoholism. If he's alcoholic, he'll understand you at once. He'll match your mental inconsistencies with some of his own. So the chapter on alcoholism is, they talk to us about Jim the car guy. How many of you have read this book and have read about Jim the car guy? Jim lost his dealership due to his drinking, and he had to go to work for the very dealership he had once owned. Any of you ever have to go to a diminished job because of your addiction issues? They, they recount that Jim, on his way to work, was a little agitated. How many of you are going to work for a diminished job, or one you thought diminished, sometimes experience a little agitation on your way in? They recount that Jim had a few words with the boss. Nothing serious. How many of you in a state of agitation have gone to a boss who offered you a job you desperately needed, but you had a few words expressing your displeasure with your current situation? That's what happened to Jim. And then they recount that Jim decided Although he was at the dealership where people come to buy cars, he would like to go out in the woods looking for people who want to buy cars. That's a perfectly logical thing for an addict to think. How many of you had some clean time and realized it was now time to go show the fellows at the trap house how good you were doing? So it's not so far-fetched. So on the way out to the woods where these car buyers hang out that don't come to dealerships to buy cars, he passes this roadside place where they have a bar and he's eaten there many times so the bar doesn't bother him because he does not pick up no matter what. Any of you ever heard that silly shit? How many of you pick up no matter what? How many of you have proved it? Okay, so this is where he is, state of agitation, a little delusion. He's out looking for car buyers. He goes in the bar where he can get a sandwich, and he thought he might find a car buyer in there, because why not? I won't have to drive all the way to the fucking woods this way. So he's in the bar. He orders a sandwich and a glass of milk, and then suddenly the thought crosses his mind that, hey, if I had another sandwich and another glass of milk, I could pour a shot of whiskey in that milk and it wouldn't hurt me on a full stomach. How many of you have had a thought that, in spite of all the history, that there is a safe way for you to anesthetize yourself in the world? So it's not that weird that he put a little whiskey in the milk when you really think about it, even if you're not drinkers. So he did that, and luckily the experiment went so well that he had another, and then another. Pretty soon the sandwich went away, exactly right, Mike. There was no sandwich, no more milk, but the shots were working by that time. And he ended up in an asylum. Again. Any of you end up in an asylum again? They talk about a jaywalker. Any of you, if you substituted your addiction in for the guy that runs in front of cars, you would have to admit, strangely similar. They talk about Fred, the business guy. He wasn't as bad as you 
Not as bad as you, but thanks for the information. I'm going to not pick up, no matter what. And his self-knowledge got him on a business trip, not a cloud on the horizon, but he did have to walk through the dining room on the way, and he thought, by such a great day, I'll have a highball with dinner. And he came to three days later in a cab. Any of you ever had that experience? Or in another city, maybe you couldn't afford a cab, because if you're really good, you don't have any money for a fucking cab, let's be real. <laughs> Unless you stole a cab, and then you got this whole other thing going. <laughs> and in this crowd, that's probably what happened. <laughs> so any of you roughly relate? Yeah. Okay, well, congratulations, you've caught alcoholism. <laughs> sorry we didn't warn you in advance. Not that sorry. Okay, so then it says, if you're satisfied that he's a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. So how would I be satisfied if he's a real alcoholic? They define real alcoholic. They wouldn't use those terms if they didn't already define it for me. What did they say the real alcoholic was? Yeah, they talk about you being a real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Any of you experience a personality change while drinking? Seldom mildly intoxicated, always more or less insanely drunk, they said. Any of you not think yourself insanely drunk when it was clear to the world that you were insanely drunk? Where are my drinkers? Come on, let me see. How many of you went to a detox and they did a blood alcohol on you? Go, dude, you should be hospitalized. Hence my arrival. <laughs> I'm going to need help with the parking. I didn't see your valet. <laughs> Blissfully unaware of my condition. Anyone understand what I'm talking about? Begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. So what is the hopeless feature of the malady of alcoholism, addiction? Doesn't matter how much self-knowledge I have. I will not be able to stop. Not just when I'm using. My life proves that I can have a significant amount of clean time. And eventually another test of my spiritual status will come up and off I go again. Anyone else have that experience? Alright, so um, so it tells us that Show him from your own experience how the queer mental condition surrounding the first drink prevents normal functioning of the willpower. Don't at this stage refer to this book unless he's seen it and wishes to discuss it and be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. Why? I just told you how they defined an alcoholic. I'm not an alcoholic until I'm declaring myself redeemed. That's the problem with the churches. Well, you're calling yourself an alcoholic. You're, no. Matthew was Levi the tax collector. In the Gospel of Matthew, you will find that he declares himself an apostle and a tax collector. Why? Because he was redeemed from a pitiful place, and he now is changing the world. I'm just trying to tell you, so if you're not understanding how it's relevant, we're trying to make it relevant. Um, anyway, so... Careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. Let him draw his own conclusion. If he sticks to the idea that he can still control his drinking, tell him that possibly he can if he's not too alcoholic. Now that sounds like we're throwing him under the bus, but I'm sitting in a room full of people I'm assuming are not unlike me. None of us to a man or woman wants to be told we're not addict enough. We will one-up you. Go to the meeting after the meeting and tell a story about the worst experience you ever had. I'll guarantee there's six worse. <laughs> Whether there's real or imagined. Because that's the kind of people we are. So we're not throwing them under the bus. We need their conscious participation in our plan for their salvation. Make sense? I can't give them the want to. That comes from God. I can just show them what happens when you get a little want to in you. Okay? All right. Insist if he's severely afflicted, there may be little chance he can recover by himself. Continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. Talk about the conditions of body and mind which accompany it. This goes back to what Sean was talking about. 
We don't want to talk to them in Alcoholics Anonymous in case they're prejudiced. So we just want to talk about how baffling it is for me to just stop for one little drink and end up three weeks later trying to figure out what city I'm in. Yeah. Went out for cigarettes, ended up in Mexico. I don't know. <laughs> a little loss of control, perhaps. None of you did that shit? Some of you I know did. Some of you came out here on vacation and left on probation, right? That's the story of Arizona visits. <laughs> Keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience. Explain that many are doomed who never realize their predicament. Why am I an expert on how many are doomed that never realize? Because if I'm doing my job, I've seen it time and time again. Our family that knows us when we're in it starts preparing for our burial. Bet on it. Think about what you're doing to your families and loved ones when you're in it, because that's what's up. And until you start thinking more of others than you do of yourself, you're not going to get well. The minute you think of them, a window opens into your consciousness and new power flows in. And you'll find yourself able to do things you were not able to do before because your perspective changed. Why do we speak to the wind before the meeting started? It's going to change. I don't give a damn about what it looks like. I'm telling you about who wins. Okay. Explain that many are doomed who never realize their predicament. Doctors are rightly loath to tell alcoholic patients the whole story unless it'll serve some good purpose. But you may talk to them about the hopelessness of alcoholism because you offer a solution. How many of you know what solution we offer? Yeah, we offer you an awakening of your spirit so that you can get out of your limiting ideas about who you are. We're going to introduce you to who you are and whose you are, and you'll walk free. That's, that's what we offer. You'll, not, you'll soon have your friend admitting he has many, if not all, the traits of an alcoholic. If his own doctor is willing to tell him that he's alcoholic, so much the better. Even though your protege may not have entirely admitted his condition, he's become very curious to know how you got well. Let him ask you that question if he will. Why do I need him to ask? They told me earlier, don't say anything for a moment. Why do I need him to ask me? Once we've compared notes, and he knows that I know of darkness in ways that many people don't know of darkness. There you go, did you hear him? And we'll know it, not only from what they say, but how we feel. How many of you had that experience when you knew it was time to let them know? So it says, tell him exactly what happened to you. Why am I properly armed with the facts about myself in step four so I can tell him exactly what happened to me? I was preparing to be a good witness. What's that look like? I can tell you what it looked like for me. I was declared fucking incompetent, incapable of doing any personal business emotionally or mentally. I had letters because I couldn't get my driver's license plates, all that shit. I mean, it was, I used no matter what. I was either locked up or chained down. I came out of a coma and woke up, and as soon as they rehabbed me where I could feed myself and walk again, I walked right out of there with my ass hanging out, and I went across the parking lot and got a beer. That's who it was. And then one day I ended up in a detox after that time, and I'm sitting there, and a man who was carrying this message, who offered this solution, walked into that detox, and he started telling a story of a redemption that I had not experienced as a result of these rooms. And what I can tell you is in that moment, I knew I needed to speak to him, and he agreed to meet with me, and on the day I got out of that detox, and I had gotten out of dozens of detoxes, but on the day I got out of that one, he came to me, and he spoke into me, and I can only tell you that from that day to the present time, I've never stopped walking and giving credit to God and singing his praises, because I know what it is to be dead, and now I am alive. That's exactly what happened to me. And many of you have the same story because, interestingly enough, about our community, we know that about each other. So I'm sitting in a room full of dead people who are now alive, but we're not many. We are one. 
which is why we can feel each other. You understand why we carry this, practice these principles in all our affairs? It's how we know each other. And if you're not in this manner of living, look around. Find someone who will help you because we are obligated to introduce you to this power, and we will. And if you're feeling it and don't understand it, that's just, we just got to wake you up. No big deal. That's why we got an awakening process. All right. We knew you were slumbering. All right. All right, so... So if a man be atheist or agnostic or atheist, make it emphatic, he does not have to agree with your conception of God. Why do you not have to agree with my conception of God? God is not a conception. God's not a conception. This is not a conception. I was a certified shit show. I am less so now. That's it. That's the demonstration. That's what Bill said of Ebby. This guy's worse than me, and yet he's sitting there declaring that God delivered him. At long last, I saw the miracle sitting in front of me. I felt, and then I believed. So God is the subject of my experience, not the object of my belief. I don't care if you believe what I believe, but do believe that I do believe what I say I believe. You don't have to agree with what I believe, but believe I believe, that's enough. Make sense? And we ask you to believe based on an experience, not a... Right? So if you're feeling me, then believe that. And we'll help you improve consciousness to that. Because the answers for you are in you. They're not coming from me. What you're feeling is happening in you, not from up here. I just know it because we're one. And there's one who has all power. That one is? There you have it. That one is power. You're absolutely right. He can choose any conception he likes, provided it makes sense to him. So we go to great lengths to help you make sense of the power we get introduced to. The authors talk to you about electrical theory. We all believe in electrical theory, even though we can't necessarily fully define or comprehend it. That's why it's still called, after all these years, electrical theory. They don't call it electrical fact. Why do we believe in electrical theory? Because we've experienced its effects. Why do we come to believe in God? Because we've experienced his effects. And if anyone's offering you any less than that, they cut your dope. It ain't a doorknob. It's not a light bulb. It's not a sock named Oscar. It's not a group of drunks. It's power better than you ever wanted to be, residing in you, taking you to places you never imagined. Okay. So it says the main thing is that he be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and he live by spiritual principles. The reason you want to believe in spiritual principles is you want to practice these principles in all your affairs because that's how you improve consciousness of this power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowing into you. Does it make sense? Not a theology. Any of you, I can feel the prejudice coming up. Guys, we're not, I'm not preaching. I'd hold a Bible up and wave it if you wanted me to, but that's not what we're here. We're talking about redeemed people. We're talking about real miracles sitting around one another who have no reason to explain why they're not dead and many, many others they started out with and ran with are. And I can tell you why. Because he chose you. And the chosen don't choose, so quit telling me what you chose today. It's just not true. The chosen do not choose. When dealing with such a person, you had better use everyday language to describe spiritual principles. There's no use in arousing any prejudice he may have against certain theological terms and conceptions about which he may already be confused. Don't raise such issues no matter what your own convictions are. Your prospect may belong to a religious denomination. His religious education and training may be far superior to yours. In that case, he's going to wonder how you can add anything to what he already knows. Have you ever worked with somebody that was really steeped in religion and could not receive the grace of God? Where's my religious people? Where are my people that go to church? You don't call yourself religious people. I'm a people that goes to church. Sometimes people in the church are not very understanding. 
There's people. How many have gone to fellowships and not met people that were not very understanding? That's not, so that's not unique to churches. And it's not, all we're trying to tell you is the God they're talking about is not the people. The church is made up of God's people, and there is all kinds of loving kindness to be found. But the reality is, if we're speaking in language we don't comprehend, then I suggest you learn the language of the heart. You get what I'm saying? It's more about what I'm feeling in your presence, because that signature comes with you. When you're his, it'll come with you. Whether you know you're carrying it or not, I'll know. Okay, so I'm going to jump from there, because I don't want to get down there. I have stories I tell about that, but I want to go to 94, and they're going to talk to us about this process the steps that a lot of people think our solution is the process. And of course, in the beginning, we get an encounter power, and then the power gives us willingness to move through and look fearlessly within and get armed with the facts about ourselves and to go out and make amends, subordinate the ego to the spirit and start doing the right thing in, through his power, right? So that's, that's important, but that's not really the solution I'm offering. I'm offering them a path to power that's already within them. And so what you'll find, the authors talk about a bridge of reason. How did you get to new freedom? How did you get to recovery? Did it just, was it a reasonable thing? There's people going there, they're telling me they're getting well, so I've done this before and I don't want to release, I don't want to go back out and do what I did last time, so I'm going to go there. Any of you had that experience? What, what the AAs called that was the bridge of reason, capital B, capital R, bridge of reason. God brought you here by a certain amount of faith. And then when you got here, we are completely spirit-led, and you felt it when you came in. When someone said, welcome home, it feels different here. It's abundant everywhere. Yes? So, the process is the power, but believe me, the solution I offer is not process, but power. Because process only reveals the power to me through me. It also reveals the frailties to me. Make sense? Okay. So outline the program of action explaining how you made a self-appraisal and how you straightened out your past. So it would help if I had made a self-appraisal in order to explain to them how I had done that, right? And then how did I straighten out the past? Well, at first I made a list of those people I harmed and how I harmed them, and I approached them and asked, Can I, I need to make this approach, will you allow me? And they either allowed me or they didn't. Some of them told me, no, I don't ever want to see you again. And I honored that because that's what they ask. Right? So that's how I did it. But what I don't think we always tell people, the reason I come to work every day is I'm still trying to straighten out the past. Because the ever-living amends is 12, not 9. Nine just gets me fit enough to subordinate the ego, take capture the thought, be responsible for my own emotional nature, and serve without judgment. Does it make sense? Then you gotta gotta subordinate the ego for that to happen. Okay? All right, so, so then it says, and why you're now endeavoring to be helpful to him. Why? Because I'm still straightening out my past. How many of you had people that you hadn't even met came to carry a message to you in places not very many people wanted to go? Can't remember their names, can you? Well, completely anonymous. That's just the way God shows up. And that's my ever, never-ending obligation, to keep showing up for the ones that feel forgotten, because you're not forgotten by him. Make sense? Okay. It's important for him to realize that your attempt to pass this on to him plays a vital part in your own recovery. It's also important for you carrying the message to understand that that person I'm going to serve plays a vital part in my own recovery. Because, see, I'm powerless to produce a spiritual awakening for you. I'm also powerless to produce a spiritual awakening for me. What I do is become conscious through prayer and meditation, through service, and I serve as an instrument. And in that process, all the healing I've ever needed that I didn't know I needed flows through me to God's people. If you don't believe me, we've treated 2,700 people through here since since we opened. 
not quite two years from now, and 28 of them have gone back for new charges. How many of you come from ADCRR and know that's not a normal statistic? That's less than 1%, men and women. It's the never-ending story. Sean met me in a homeless shelter, and he's still showing up here. True story. Got the only one I ever need. Yeah. All right. So, make it plain he's under no obligation to you that you hope only that he'll try and help other alcoholics when he escapes his own difficulties. Suggest how important it is that he place the welfare of other people ahead of his own. Make it clear that he's not under pressure and that he needn't see you again if he doesn't want to. We make a mistake of making people feel indebted and it's because we're just new in the spirit. But there's no, I'm paying my debt. You, you don't owe me a debt. My debt was already paid. My debt was paid a long time ago. And, and I, I'm just continuing to pay it forward because that's my obligation in him. Um, you should not be offended if he wants to call it off or he's helped you more than you've helped him. If your talk has been sane, quiet, and full of human understanding, you've perhaps made a friend. How many of you have made friends and then later were able to have more spiritual conversations, but at first they thought you were a little weird? Because <laughs> we, like Sean's point, he puts them in a car and just drives and then just talks to them until they just wear the fuck down. That's true, he does listen. Because if you don't talk, he's going to talk. You know? <laughs> right? A whole bunch of you here know that shit. <laughs> Maybe you've disturbed him about the question of alcoholism. This is all the good. The more hopeless he feels, the better. He'll be more likely to follow your suggestions. Your candidate may give reasons why he need not follow all the program. How many of you have had reasons you need not follow all the program? So there ain't no reason to do any hating on that because all of us have had reasons we need not follow all the program. We're not saints. Right? Okay. So you know there is no all the program. It's all inclusive. It's just a walk in faith. People break it down in 12 steps so that we can grasp it, but the reality is they're all inclusive, not mutually exclusive. It's not a workbook exercise. Every time I think you guys are causing how I think and feel, I'm in step one. I feel powerless. When they tell me I'm shutting off your funding because of criminal allegations, I feel powerless until I realize I've done nothing criminal and I can prove it. And because of you guys, we have a war chest, not because of the money, but because of the faith stored up from the redemptions that are here. We got community partners that are giving a middle finger to the powers in play. And it's not the first time a shepherd boy killed a fucking giant. We got me a stone that's been polished by the water. Yeah? Okay. All right. So, goes on to tell us the more hopeless he feels, the better he'll be more likely to follow your suggestions. He may give reasons why he need not follow the program. He may be bell at the thought of a drastic house cleaning, which requires discussion with other people. How many of you really don't want to tell the story because there's that one little thing about you that you just don't ever want to tell? Come on, you're in the room. Somebody, right? Here's the thing. The healing unit, that's already been paid for. Whatever happens already been paid for. And until you learn to tell that story to someone who loves you without judgment, you'll never go tell it to the stranger who needs the redemption you've experienced. So the reason you're doing holding on to it is you're holding on to your own blessing and you just need to share it. For logical reasons. Does it make sense? It's still in self-interest. And it, it, just, it just is. Okay. Um, so... So do not contradict such views. Tell him you once felt as he does, but you doubt you would have made much progress had you not taken action. I once was afraid to tell the person taking me through my very first fourth step some things about me. They were embarrassing to me. I figured I fooled him because I'm so good at fooling people. 
But what I did not know is people in the spirit cannot be fooled because truth has a signature. Do you understand what I'm talking about? So once you awaken in the spirit, you can't lie to me without my permission. Because you can lie. But I don't know who you're talking to. So what I learned from that guy is I got all through it and I had pulled it off. And he said, what are you holding back? And then I felt convicted. And then I spilled it. And then he hugged me. He says, good, thanks, man. It's all going to be better now. And it's never not been better since that moment. And I was, I was sick. So on your first visit, tell them about the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. One of the things the authors used to do is they used to spend a lot of time telling you the difference between fellowship and program. We don't do that anymore. People say, I'm in the program. No, you're in the fucking fellowship. Why is it important? I know people get mad about that, but the real, if you are in the program, then you're in this book. So when someone tells me they're in the program, I'd say, I wish you would cite for me the page. I don't believe I've read about you. <laughs> and why is that important? Because without the manner of living, we're doomed. We went from 65% efficacy from 1939 to 1955, documented, with a world war in the middle. And now we've got about 3%, maybe 4 All the advances to medical science. You know why? They took the power out. See how what happened in this room when we took the power out? Power is still here. Yeah. Feel the heat? Yeah. Why the power is here? Because the people are here. Yeah. We got to tell them the truth. The fellowship, you can go sit in rooms for 30 years and not awaken. You can go sit in a pond and quack. That don't make you a fucking duck. <laughs> you want to be an alcoholic in a meaningful way? You want to be an addict in a meaningful way? Go participate in the redemption of others. Get armed with the facts about yourself. Okay. So i got to get over to page 96. It says, do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. How many of you have tried working with others and don't, they kept twisting off? I give them my number and they don't call me. I get them to step one, maybe step two, and then poo. Bill worked with six that he could not get well. Right? And his wife pointed out to him, well, you're sober six months. You've never done that before. <laughs> so it wasn't really your sobriety. You were shaking. It was your awakening to your powerlessness. And sometimes those people who don't get well are awakening you to your own personal powerlessness. So we can be thankful for them. My friend Lance went and chased one today. Because it's our job as lost sheep wranglers to go get the lost sheep when they go off the rails. It is not our job to keep them in the pen when they leave again. We did our part. Water over the dam. Does it make sense? All right. So, so it says you're, you're sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you offer. What do I offer? I offer you evidence of a redemption possible for you. That's it. And, and I offer to walk with you into yours if you want to go. The stuff I've heard over the years, oh, you don't ever have to feel like this again if you don't want to. Bullshit. You're going to feel much worse than this because you're not going to have any anesthesia. But I'll walk with you through it. Right? Come on, man. We say silly things as humans to try and think we're padding the moment, but we're cutting their dope. Don't be that guy. Okay. We find it a waste of time Keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. If you leave such a person alone, he may soon become convinced that he cannot recover by himself. How many of you had that experience? Where's my friend Parker? Just takes a minute, huh? Can't recover by ourselves, can we, brother? Hell no, but you came home, didn't you? We're glad you're here, Parker, by the way. To spend too much time on any one situation is to deny some other alcoholic an opportunity to live and be happy. 
One of our fellowship failed entirely with his first half dozen prospects. He often says that if he'd continued to work on them, he might have deprived many others who have since recovered of their chance. There's Bill's story, right? How many of those others, you ever realized that if he'd kept chasing those six, none of us would be here? All the millions that have come after, the consequences of selfish motives instead of doing what? Some of you that read the Bible know what Jesus said. I can only do what I see the Father doing. How come we think see shit everywhere? <laughs> well, maybe we're not quite awake. Huh? Okay. All right. So I'm going to go over the next page, page 97. Let me check time, make sure I'm not keeping you too long. So it says, never avoid these responsibilities, but be sure you're doing the right thing if you assume them. Helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. Foundation stone of your recovery. Biblically, who's the cornerstone? Okay, so, but if you're not there, then just understand that, you know, what you do for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you do under me. So there is a, if I want to be standing on a firm foundation, I've got to go out and love the unlovely, right? Tolerate the intolerable. I've got to go serve, right? Okay. Um, and a kindly act once in a while isn't enough. You have to act the Good Samaritan every day if need be. It may mean the loss of many nights sleep. How many of you have lost a little sleep going out to help people? Great interference with your pleasures. How many of you have had to cancel something you were going to do? How about, how about Lance canceling work today? Tears flowing from his eyes because he was worried about a brother. He's lucky he works at a place that understands that necessity. Right? Interruptions to your business. It may mean sharing your money or your home, counseling frantic wives and relatives, innumerable trips to police courts, sanitariums, hospitals, jails, and asylums. How many of you made innumerable trips to all those things? Yeah, that's the debt we owe, right? All the people that came to see us in all those places. Your telephone may jangle at any time of the day or night. Your wife may sometimes say she's neglected. Because you neglected her. <laughs> Damn, Sean. A drunk may smash the furniture in your home or burn a mattress. You may have to fight with him if he's violent. Sometimes you'll have to call a doctor to administer sedatives under his direction. Any of you ever have to take someone to detox and needed them to drink a pint or so on the way there? So that Sometimes we've got to minister sedatives under God's direction. Need them drunk enough to get in, because if it's just meth they've been doing, they ain't going to admit them, right? I need you spun on alcohol to get you in here. Anyway, occasionally you'll have to meet such conditions. That's what I was told were the 12-step promises. In three, we applied for a job, right? We have a new employer, and being all powerful, he provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. That's why Lance had to go out in the middle of work and go see someone. That's why Parker came home. That's why my friend Parker said, or, or, I'm sorry, Mr. Leggensoff is sitting in here tonight. I know the kind of attack he is under, and you're welcome here, brother. I'm glad you came here to be amongst the Fellowship of the Spirit. So, I think that's it for you guys. Let's, uh, next week we're going to be in, well, I'll do one more thing. It says, burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anyone. The only condition is he trust in God and clean house. When we say God, what are we talking about? Power. Trust in power and clean house.